Hey guys, Pastor Jurgen here. I'm so glad you're tuning into one of our powerful messages that is guaranteed to absolutely elevate your life to another level. At Awaken, we only want to preach fresh, real, powerful to help you grow stronger in your walk with God, develop your faith so you can take more territory. I'm praying that God blesses you and enriches your soul as you listen to this amazing word from God. God bless you. You know, I said to the 9 a.m. service, I said, it's one of the first times it's happened to me, but it's not the only time it's happened. I've turned up to church and realized I've got a much better title for the sermon than what I sent the media team. So if you're taking notes, which we always recommend, because apparently note takers, I'm not sure if you saw, the Bible really teaches only one gate to get into heaven, and there's multitudes more numerous than the sand on the seashore, so it could be a long queue. However, I have it on good authority. There's a little VIP entrance for those who take notes in church. So take notes in church, get the VIP entrance, so you're not, you know, with all the lines, wondering why it's not moving is because there's no time. You're in eternity, and you're like, oh, and um, so the title of my message today is God in 3D. I, I, I thought it was a better title than your reaction. But anyway, God in 3D. God in 3D. So I'm going to give you three Ds, three dimensions of God so that you can see God clearly in your life. So come with me in your Bibles. The reason I'm doing this is because I've got the NIV, the nearly inspired version uh, on here, you know, Jesus used the New King James, but I'm going to use the NIV just for these, these scriptures, just because there's a word in there that I like better than what the, uh, the New King James translates. So uh, Exodus chapter 8, verse 20 says, Then the Lord said to Moses, Get up early in the morning and confront Pharaoh as he goes to the river and say to him, This is what the Lord says, Let my people go so that they may worship me. If you do not let my people go, I will send swarms of flies on you and on your officials, on your people, and into your houses. The houses of the Egyptians will be full of flies. Even the ground will be covered with them. But on, the, on that day, I will deal differently with the land of Goshen where my people live. No swarms of flies will be there so that you will know that I, the Lord, am in this land. No flies will be there so that you will know that I, the Lord, am in this land. Verse 23, I will make a, I will make a distinction between my people and your people. This sign will occur tomorrow. Now, just so you know that it's not a one-off, go to chapter 9. Chapter 9, verse 1 says, Then the Lord said to Moses, Go to Pharaoh again and say to him, This is what the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, says. Let my people go so that they may worship me if you refuse to let them go and continue to hold them back. The hand of the Lord will bring a terrible plague on your livestock in the field, on your horses, donkeys, camels, on your cattle, sheep, goats. But the Lord will make a distinction between the livestock of Israel and that of Egypt, so that no animal belonging to the Israelites will die. Then skip on down to verse 22. Then the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand toward the sky, so that hail will fall all over Egypt, on people, on animals, on everything growing in the fields of Egypt. 
When Moses stretched out his staff toward the sky, the Lord sent thunder and hail and lightning flashed down to the ground. So the Lord rained hail on the land of Egypt. Hail fell and lightning flashed back and forth. It was the worst storm in all the land of Egypt since it had become a nation. Throughout Egypt, hail struck everything in the fields, both people and animals, and it beat down everything growing in the fields and stripped every tree. The only place that it did not hail was in the land of Goshen where the Israelites were. You got time for one more? Okay, go to chapter 10, 21 to 23. Then the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand toward the sky so the darkness spreads over Egypt. Darkness that can be felt. So Moses stretched out his hand toward the sky and total darkness covered all Egypt for three days. No one could see anyone else or move about for three days. Yet all the Israelites had light in the places where they lived. Today is Palm Sunday. And so in, in kind of the Christian circles, we, we know it's Holy Week. We call it Holy Week. But in Israel right now, they're preparing for Passover. Today is, is uh, Palm Sunday where Jesus was riding into Jerusalem. He was riding in. He wouldn't come back out. He'd be riding into Jerusalem where he was going to be betrayed. He's going to be crucified. And then on the third day, rise again. But today was the day where Jesus was on the colt, on the foal of a donkey, riding in. And the people were bringing out their palm branches and laying down their coats and cloaks and putting them on the ground, giving him royal treatment, saying, Hoshana, save. Hoshana means save. King of Israel, the King of Israel, the King of Israel. It's very interesting. At the same time, at the same time from the tribe of Levi, from, from the lineage of Aaron, the, the high priest was also presenting the lamb that this week would be sacrificed. The lamb would be presented that was going to be sacrificed that week for Passover. These two things are going on parallel. And what I love about Jesus is even though the crowd are saying, Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest and singing to him and the Pharisees are trying to you know rebuke them, uh, Jesus wasn't doing what he was doing because of the accolades, the affirmation of the words of men. He was doing it because that was his assignment. He, he, he knew that he was the lion of the tribe of Judah, but he had to become the lamb. He had to become a lamb sacrificed for the foundation of the earth. And so he knew he set his face like flint, which is just as well, because then the, the crowds would turn and say, crucify him, crucify him. He wasn't moved by the words of men because he was moved by the words of heaven. I say all of that to say this, that, that the, the reason that we won't preach anything other than the word of God, than the word of God. I'm not going to let the culture, I'm not going to let religious culture, I'm not going to even let religious pressure dissuade me from preaching what the Bible says because I know that you are strong that you are firm, that you have victory, that you accomplish the purposes of God when you're not moved by the words of men, whether they are for you or against you, but you move according to the word of heaven. Can somebody say amen? Amen. amen. So this is an exciting week. We've got Good Friday coming up and then Easter Sunday. It's going to be amazing. Um, but it's, it's also Passover week. And so that song that we sang written in this house. What a song. Make sure you download it. Make sure you share it with people. It's been rocking my world. So let me give you God in 3D, the first D. The first one is God makes a distinction. 
God makes a distinction. We saw that there several times in the book of Exodus where God is bringing judgment on the Egyptians. There's no judgment on his people. The God that you and I serve, I need you to understand he is a God of distinction. He makes a distinction between his and the world. He makes a distinction between the righteous and the wicked. God makes a distinction. God is able to bring judgment and hail down on the land, but protect each and every house of the Israelites. I, I say all of that to say this, that right now there, there, there is a, a, a heightened sense of alarm. If you're watching any of the news media, if you're engaged anywhere in the marketplace with, you know, banks failing and, you know, uh, railway cars coming off the tracks and spilling toxic waste just happens to be right near water supplies um, hundred and something food plants combusting and blowing up. And, and none of these are coincidence. It, it, the, the days of just cognitive dissonance, believing that they're coincidence is, is not there. The wicked are in authority. The wicked are in power. But I don't want you to be afraid. And I don't want you to be alarmed. Because when, when this situation that we just read is happening... The children of Israel are not in authority, they're in slavery. The people in authority is Pharaoh. The people who are in authority are the Egyptians. They are cruel, they are nasty, they are taskmasters. They have a genocidal bent to them. They, wanna, they, wanna, they don't want to wipe out Israel completely because they love the fact that they, they bring them their food and they, they uh, dig their trenches and irrigate their gardens and uh, you know, wait on tables for them. They, they wanted a slave class but they didn't want them to get strong. They didn't want to get them independent. They love them on welfare. Be very, very careful of the people that say, hey, give me, give me your vote because I'm going to do, do welfare. Most of welfare is to keep them alive but never let them thrive. So they remain addicted to the people that put them in power so that they stay in power. They're, they're flying on, on first, you know, on... on private jets all over the world going to Davos, to the World Economic Forum, telling everybody else that they need to reduce their carbon footprint. Obviously, it doesn't, you know, uh, uh, apply to them. They, 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 they eat these magnificent meals, but you're meant to eat bugs and nut meat and other stupid things. Be careful, be careful of the crazies. But I say all of this, I say all of this to say that, that, that God makes a distinction. God makes a distinction. If you are born again, if you are born again, I want you to know that, that, that God has made a distinction over your life. You don't have to fear what's going on in the world. You don't have to worry about what's going on in the world. You don't have to be afraid of banks failing because God's got you. Uh, this may sound like a, like a shock, but the Bible was working before there was an America. We have an America because the Bible was working. But I, don't, I just want you to understand, Christianity kind of did okay before there was an America. Now, that doesn't mean that we don't fight for America because America is built on the Judeo-Christian ethics. It's built on a Judeo-Christian ethos, our entire worldview, the, the founding fathers, the, the, 
the separation of powers, all of that are biblical themes, biblical concepts. The reason this has been the most blessed nation in human history is because her foundation is on God. God chose Israel at her inception, but America chose God. She's the only nation that chose God to be her God at her inception. And that's why America is so blessed. And there are wicked people that have a globalist agenda that... to usher in the globalist agenda have to bring America down. And so you may be trading in the marketplace, operating in the marketplace, in banking, in finance, in various aspects. And right now there can be cause for alarm. You turn on the, the, the TV and the NASDAQ and the Dow Jones and the inflation and the, you know, all of that kind of stuff can unsettle you. I'm trying to tell you, you do not need to be unsettled. The, the God of the Bible is still seated on the throne. He's high and lifted up. He is mighty. He is mighty and he is almighty and, and he is watching over you and he can make a distinction. The Bible says in Psalm 91 that if you make the Lord the most high, if you make him your refuge, your shelter, your dwelling place, the Bible says he who abides under the shadow of the almighty shall fear no evil. He who abides under the shadow of the almighty, a thousand may fall at your right hand, 10,000 before the noonday sun. It shall not come near you. Only with your eyes shall you observe because you've made the Lord your God your dwelling place. I want you to know that God is a God of distinction. God is a God of separation and distinction. Many years ago, many years ago in, in 2008, when we had the, you know, the previous recession, when we had the previous bust, I had a, had a pastor who was very, very envious of us. You know, he, he was struggling every week, and we seemed to just be kicking goals every week. And he was like, and so he, he kind of said in a little bit of a stabbing way, he says, ah, oh, bet you're not going to be teaching any more of your tithing, giving, generosity, big thinking anymore. And I said, well, why wouldn't I? Because we're in a recession. I said, you might want to just calm down there, Rube. That's about a nine on the tension scale. Because yeah, yeah, we're in a recession. I said, exactly. I said, man, when we're not in a recession, when, when money's flowing freely, I could preach on Humpty Dumpty. It doesn't matter what I preach on. I said, but in, in a recession, when the world is failing, when the world is failing, you know what doesn't fail? The word. When the world is failing, the word never fails. Jesus said, Heaven and earth will pass away, but my word endureth forever. So when the world around about you is sinking, when it's going under and you're looking for something that is floating, something that won't go under, hold on to the word of God. My job is to tell you, my job is to preach to you that this word has outlasted civilizations. It outlasted dynasties. It's outlasted empires. It outlasted the most rogue kings. This word will continue to endure. Nazi Germany said they were going to usher in a thousand years. They didn't even last a hundred years, but the word of God is still enduring. The word of God is still thriving. That Men, brilliant men have said, I'm going to wipe out the edifices that it took 12 disciples to rear. I'm going to wipe Christianity out. That's what they said. And then on their deathbed, they, they begged the doctors to give them six months more life, which the doctors couldn't do. And then when they died, the same house where the, this uh, French philosopher, Voltaire, Francois-Marie Voltaire, who says, my single hand will wipe out Christianity. I will, it will be no more. 
And he said, in 20 years' time, it will be no more. 20 years later, on the exact anniversary of when he made that statement, the Geneva Bible Printing Society opened their headquarters in what used to be his mansion. I'm telling you, the God that you and I serve will not be mocked. The God that you and I serve is a God of distinction. So you better believe, absolutely, I'm going to teach you the Word of God because I know this thing don't fail. This thing don't fail. God watches over His Word to perform it. All you got to do is make sure that, that, that His Word is in your heart, in your life. You know, a lot, a lot of people, a lot of Christians, you, you kind of get around a little bit. You meet Christians over the years and they're all excited about, you know, Pastor, we're just believing. We're believing for the transfer of wealth, Pastor. We're believing that the wealth of the sinner mm, stored up for the righteous. Ooh, yeah, yeah. And... and, and and I believe it. The Bible does say that the wealth of the wicked is laid up for the righteous. The Bible does teach that there's a transfer of wealth. Nobody wants to go through the process where it transfers. So the Bible says the wealth of the sinner is laid up for the righteous. I've got a friend of mine who says that they make all their, all their profits, they make their, their, their greatest financial gains, not in booming economies, but in recessions. We're about to go into another seeming recession. And let me tell you what's going to happen to you. You are going to be distinction. You are going to be a distinction because while everybody else is going backwards, you're going to go forwards. While everybody else is decreasing, you're going to advance. And I'll tell you why. Because money moves away from greed and it moves away from fear. It moves towards faith and it moves towards wisdom and it moves towards courage. There's a transfer of wealth. I'm telling you, I'm telling you what I'm seeing in San Diego, it's, 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 it's awakened folks who are buying homes. It's awakened homes who are getting miracles. When people buy homes, they become residents. When you become a resident, you get to vote. You get to vote who, I'm the landscape of San Diego is changing because the Righteous are buying homes and the and the, the, the faithless are moving out, but the faithful are buying. We're shifting things over the city. I want you to have a look at this scripture, John 10, 28 to, to 30. John 10, 28 to 30. Jesus says, speaking about you and I, he says that no one is able to snatch us out of his hand. He says, now thanks be to God. I think that's the wrong one. John 10, John chapter 10, John chapter 10. One of the Gospels, John <laughs> chapter 10. All right. I thought it'd come up. All right, here we go. John chapter 10, verse 28. But you do not believe, uh, sorry, but, and I give them, I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish. I give them eternal life, they shall never perish. Neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one, is able to snatch them out of my father's hand. I and my father are one. <laughs> Drop the mic. I want you to know that the God that you and I serve is a, is a 3D God. The first D is he makes a distinction. He makes a distinction. He's watching over you. You don't need to fear about your future. You don't need to fear about your tomorrow. You don't need to worry. Jesus, don't worry about tomorrow. Today's got enough stuff. Just, just, just be 
focused on today. I've got your tomorrow. You don't need to be fearful. You don't need to be anxious. You don't need to be worried. Just be faithful. Just keep drawing near to the Word of God. Keep coming to the house of God. Keep putting His principles in play. I'm telling you, if you make God the Lord of your life, He knows how to watch over you. Jesus said, if I cast out demons by the finger of God, surely the kingdom of God has come upon you. The kingdom of God may be invisible, but just because it's invisible doesn't mean it's not tangible. A lot of people say, well, you know, if I can't see it, I don't believe it. All right, well, then how are you breathing, nitwit? Can't see air. How are you still seated on, on your seat? Gravity. You can't see gravity, but it's holding you on so you don't fly up into the sun. There's a lot of things you can't see that are real. But just because you can't see it doesn't mean you can't see its effects. Jesus said to the disciples and, and to the Pharisees, it's like you, 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 you're so reduced in your faith. He says, if I just cast out a demon by the finger of God, the kingdom of God has come upon you. The kingdom of Jesus is going to preach the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The kingdom of heaven is present, even though you don't see it. But the kingdom of heaven drives out the demonic. The kingdom of heaven has a flow where cancers and tumors dissolve. The kingdom of heaven is incredibly real. And I need you to understand that though we walk in the earth and though we trade in the earth and though we operate in the earth, the Bible says that, that though we are in the world, we are not of the world. And so even though your business and your enterprise and your engagements and your transactions and your activities are in the world, I need you to understand that even though you are in the world, you are not of the world. You are born again and you are of a kingdom. The kingdom may be invisible, but don't think because it's invisible, it's not powerful. Don't think because it's invisible. If you don't believe that something invisible is powerful go and touch one of those danger high voltage 100,000 volts fences and you'll just see how something invisible can be unbelievably powerful the kingdom of God is powerful God knows who are in his kingdom God knows if you're born again and if you're in his kingdom you serve a king who is not a slacker you serve a king you are under the authority of a king who's got you. He, he says, and all those in my hand, in my kingdom, none of them shall perish. I give them everlasting life and no one is able to snatch them from my hand. There is none greater than the father and no one can snatch them out of the father's hand. I and the father are one. I want you to know God has got you. Kick fear to the curb. You don't need fear. You operate in faith. God's got you. Can somebody say amen? All right. I felt like I preached that better than you received it, but I'm just going to believe you're processing. Number two, number two. That's okay. I don't need it. God delivers. The second D is God is a deliverance God. Have a look at Colossians 1 verse 13. Have a look at the book of Colossians chapter 1 verse 13. Have a look what it says. It says, He has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of the Son of His love. He has delivered us from the kingdom of darkness and he has conveyed us into the kingdom of the son of his love. I need you to understand something that I, that I have to correct. I got, I got, I got to get this right. There's, 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 there's terrible teaching that, 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 that God is, I don't know, maybe arthritic in his old age. That God maybe used to be able to get you out of and into, but now, now he just kind of gets you out of. You know, he, he got you out of debt. He got, he got you out of that addiction. You know, he got you out of hell, but, you know, he got you out of your sin. But you fell right back in. You know, well, you know, it's just, you know, 
I got you out of. And then literally, you know, God's like, you know, we'll just make better choices. You know, try harder. Good luck with that. I get nervous when I hear the people say, you know, Pastor, back in 1986, I was delivered. The Lord delivered me out of darkness, put me into the kingdom of the son of his love. And Pastor, 37 years later, I'm just, just following Jesus with all my heart. And that's not a bad thing. But I'm like, well, that's the only time you were delivered? Why have you shut God out? God, God doesn't deliver you once. He doesn't say, Gabriel, today I think I'm going to be a deliverer. No, no, no. I was watching those Amazon Prime vans. Got myself a little uniform. It's even got my name on there. I'm going to do delivery today. God, God doesn't do deliverance. He is deliverance. God doesn't perform deliverance. God is a deliverer. Now watch this. I like Amazon. I don't like Jeff Bezos, but I like, I like Amazon. When I, when I was a kid, when I was a kid, if you wanted something, if you're like, oh, I want a new pair of shoes, you had to wait till a birthday or a Christmas, and then it would be wrapped in a box, but not with Amazon. I feel like I'm cheating the whole system. I went online on my phone, got some shoes, and it says, we'll be arriving in, and then sure enough, I get to, and there at my front doorstep is a box, and I was like, hey, something arrived from Amazon. Oh, I wonder what it is. It's not even my birthday. It's not Christmas, but there it is. Now, with Amazon, with Amazon, when you pay for a product, they don't just say, well, you know, we sent it from the warehouse. Hey, don't look to us. If it didn't arrive, that's on. No, no, if, 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 if you paid for it, they don't call the transaction closed or complete until it's delivered from the warehouse and delivered to your house, to your home, to your hand. Amazon is not greater than God. God is greater than Amazon. And you may have paid with, with money that is perishing. Yeshua ben Elohim paid with his life on the cross to deliver you out of all the power of darkness and convey you into the kingdom of the son of his love. I want you to know God doesn't just get you out of, he takes you into. God said to Moses, he says, Moses, I have come down to deliver my people out of bondage, out of Egypt. I've seen the oppression of the Egyptians. I've seen seen the way the taskmasters beat and oppress my people. So I've come down to deliver them from, and I am delivering them to a land flowing with milk and honey, to a good land, to a large land, to a great land. You will go into that land and you'll dwell in houses you did not build. You'll eat fruit from orchards you didn't plant. You'll drink wine from vineyards you didn't cultivate. You're going to go into a land that is flowing with milk and honey. It's interesting because the word for Egypt in Hebrew is Mitzrayim. Mitzrayim means a small place, confined place, confinement, place of confinement. It means not just siege, but double siege. It means not just distress, but double distress. And God says, I'm going to break you out of that. But I'm not going to just deliver you with a mighty hand and ten judgments and then kind of set you on, on the way. And what are you guys still doing here? It's that way. No, just, you got to, well, you can go, why would you go through the Red Sea? Go around, it's, it's, Gabriel, give him a compass. It's,
You're still here. The same God who delivered them from Pharaoh is the same God that walked with them. The Bible says he went before and behind. The Bible says he, during the day he was a pillar of cloud. You know what you need in a desert during the day? Shade. And when the temperature plummets at night, he was a pillar of fire by night. The Bible says when the Egyptian army came to try and take them back at the Red Sea, the Lord went around behind the Israelites in a flame of fire and blocked the Egyptians from being able to come to the Israelites while in front of them, he said to Moses, stretch out your rod and his power part of the Red Sea. God walked with them for 40, for 40 years. Their shoes did not wear out. For 40 years, the clothes that they wore supernaturally grew. For 40 years, he rained down manna from heaven. He fed them each and every day. He brought water out of a rock. They were in a wilderness. When they wanted meat, he says, meat, I'll give you meat. What about quail, darling? You, to find quail on the menu, you've got to go to some fancy French restaurant. Je voudrais, je voudrais un kilo quail, s'il vous plaît. Like you got to, like it's he. I mean, God is just for forty. He he delivered, and then he says, when they cross over, he says, just as I swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and Jacob, look in front of you, go and possess it, go and take it. I've delivered unto you a land that is flowing with milk and honey, one that I've watched over, one that I've protected. Go and drive out the inhabitants of the land because I'm giving it to you, just like I swore. The God that you and I serve doesn't just get you out of darkness and into light. He gets you out of debt and into prosperity. He gets you out of fear and into faith. He gets you out of rejection and into acceptance. He gets you out of brokenness and just struggling through life into a place where you're thriving and you're flourishing. He's a God that is constantly delivering you. If, there's, if, if darkness is operating, dark thoughts, dark addictions, dark habits, why are you still living there? You don't need to. You don't need to just engage the deliverer because he has delivered us from the power of darkness. The power of darkness should have no power over you because you've been delivered from it. Too many, too many Christians still live under the power of darkness because the devil comes in with all of his machinery and all of his deceptive tools to make you believe that these chains, oh, you can't break these chains. The great escape artist, Harry Houdini, the only time he failed, only time he failed. I mean, they would, they would put him in a straight jacket and they would then put chains around him with a padlock and then they'd submerge him into a tank of water. He could hold his breath for up to seven minutes and he was so brilliant because they'd cover it and everyone was thinking, oh, by the time they take the cover off, there's just going to be a, a dead drowned man in, in, in the tank. But he would always get out before the seven minutes were up. He'd always get out and astonish and make the crowds marvel because he could actually, he was double jointed, could dislocate both his, his shoulders and wriggle out of the, the straitjacket. No straitjacket could hold him. And then he would swallow a hairpin and he could regurgitate it. And then he'd use the hairpin and he could pick the lock. He'd get out of the lock and then climb out. He was just amazing. Greatest escape artist. One time, however, he couldn't escape. A sheriff put him in a cell and Harry Houdini had, had claimed that there wasn't a cell, a lock that could hold him. But for five hours, he worked that lock. For five, with beads of sweat building up on his forehead, dripping to the ground, he worked and worked and worked and worked, waiting for that click, waiting for that click, waiting for that. 
And after five hours, he just said, you got me. I'm an expert with locks. I'm, I'm a locksmith. I, I'm an ex. I can't figure this one out. And he gave up. And then the sheriff walked over and went. The reason he couldn't pick it is because it was unlocked. The great escape artist Harry Houdini was so great he couldn't get out of an unlocked cell. Before we diss Harry Houdini, most Christians live like that. He has set you free. He has delivered you from the power of darkness. And he has translated you to the kingdom of the son of his love. Don't put up with darkness. When Zach was praying, he said, I was in another place. And man, the, the, the prayers. The reason we pray like that is because we know darkness Go, darkness flee, darkness get out of my life. Dark thoughts, dark feelings, dark emotions, dark addictions. You are broken off my life in the name of Jesus. I don't got to live under you. I ain't living in the cell. I'm just going to kick the cell door open because Jesus has already broken the lock. He's already smashed. He's already created the release. Don't stay in a cell that Jesus has set you free from. Somebody say amen. All right, 2 Corinthians 2.14, I can, I can hear the keys. I know, I know, I know. I promise I'm landing. 2 Corinthians 2.14, watch this. 2 Corinthians 2.14 says, Now thanks be to God who seldom, excuse me. Now thanks be to God who now and again. Sorry. Now thanks be to God who infrequently. Thanks be to God who randomly. Now, thanks be to God who, come on, who what? Who always, pretty positive. Thanks be to God who always leads us in triumph in Christ Jesus. He always leads us in triumph. In triumph. triumph means you triumphed, you conquered, you won. The Spirit of God, the anointing of God that rests upon you when you are born again. I'm not saying religious. I'm not saying go to church. I'm not saying pray the rosary. What I'm saying is if you are born again. Jesus says you got to be born again. When you are born again, the Spirit of God comes onto the inside of you and you are born again. That anointing, that born again, that Spirit that now rests on you is a Spirit of always. It always leads you to triumph in Christ Jesus. As long as you're in Christ Jesus, no matter what you face, because greater is He that is in you, Christ Jesus, than he that is in the world. Jesus says, be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. When Christ is in you, that which overcame the world is on the inside of you. You will go from triumph to triumph, from victory to victory when you walk in Jesus Christ. The greatest way to walk in Jesus Christ is obey His Word. When His Word is, because Jesus and His Word are congruent, the two are one. When His Word is in your life, God watches over His Word to perform it. When God's Word is in your life, you are in Christ Jesus, you're going to win. You're going to win. I can know. Oh, you know, Pastor, they, they try to tell us, oh, you can't come to Coronado. We've got a meeting tomorrow with the rabbi who wants to sell us a building down there on Coronado. But the locals are trying to say, you ain't coming here. Listen, you don't get to determine Jack Diddley squat. My God shall supply all my needs according to His riches and glory by Christ Jesus. My God always leads us to triumph in Jesus Christ. Just go ahead and give God 10 seconds of praise. He always leads you to triumph. This is going to be the greatest year of your life. Debts are going to be canceled. 
Tumors are going to be healed. Land is going to be possessed. Houses are going to be exchanged. Titles are going to come. Contracts are going to come. Marriage proposals are going to happen. This is going to be your greatest year. All right, last one, last one, last one. Number three in the 3D, God distinguishes. God distinguishes. As you, as you begin to read the Bible, you begin to, you begin to realize that God doesn't, God doesn't just make a distinction and He doesn't just deliver. God, 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 God is a God that distinguishes. What do I mean by that? Well, how many people here have ever, you know, kind of heard that God, uh, you know, shows no partiality, that God is no respecter of persons, that, you know, God doesn't have favorites? I, I heard that. I, I would hear that all the time. The Lord doesn't have favorites. And, and, and so I'm reading the Bible, and I'm like, God, I just, I just got to be honest. Noah, explain that. And Noah found favor in the eyes. Found favor? That's called favoritism. Just putting it out there. Not accusing, not accusing, just suggesting. Abraham. Favor. Moses, favor. Isaac, favor. Jacob, favor. David, favor. This flipping favor all the way through the Bible. So I'm like, okay, God, you got you gotta you gotta help me here. Because I want to preach your word. And your Bible says, God no shows no partiality to any man. And yet, yeah, it's not really how it is, is it? And the Holy Spirit, who's the helper, he's the spirit of truth. He says to me, no, no, Jürgen. God's not fibbing and the word's not errant. He says, but you're also right. I said, well, how can I be right and the word not errant? Like one of us has got to be wrong. He's like, no, no, no. He says, you're a, you and the Bible are right. He says, the Bible is right that God does not show Elisha favor, skip over Samuel, and then bless Katie, even though it looks like that. Why, why does it look like that, Samuel? What is it, Katie? Attitude. See that what Katie said? It's, it's an attitude thing. He says, you're right. God, God, God doesn't initiatingly favor one person over another. He says, but you're right. When you read my Bible, you will see that the favor of God rests on people. And how many people know that favor ain't fair? Favor ain't fair. If I was honest with you, because I, I kind of feel like I'm one of God's favorites. It's a little bit awkward sometimes. I'm like, God, like, bless other people. It's a little bit like it's all like, like other people. And, and then God said, you know, the Holy Spirit showed me this. He says, God initiatingly, initiatingly doesn't choose one person that he favors over somebody else. God initiatingly. He says, but you're right. God does have favorites all the way through Scripture and all the way through life. God has favorites. I'm like, well, you've got to explain that. He says, real simple. He says, God never chooses some person over another to show favor. He says, however, there are men, and he meant men and women, who choose to become intimates. He says, and when they choose to become intimates, he says, Noah chose me above all the depravity in his generation. So he was blameless in his generations. Abraham chose me above the false idols and gods that terror his father worshipped. He said, Jacob chose me 
above all them. He says, David would worship me. He drew near to me in worship, so I drew near to him. He says, when someone becomes an intimate, the father can't help but put his favor upon them. So God choosingly or initiatingly doesn't choose favorites, but the world is full of God's favorites because they're men and women who have chosen intimacy with him. When you choose to be intimate with him, his favor comes upon you. You'll walk with the favor. That's why we spend time, energy, finance on writing worship songs so that you can enter in and become an intimate with God so you can have His favor resting upon you. Let me finish on this. You'll see this play out in, in, in uh, the Bible. Sometimes we can say, well, you, you don't understand because the, 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 the crazy Biden administration and, you know, the Trump indictment and, and what's happening in the World Economic Forum and, and Zelensky and Putin and, you know, Xi Jinping, Xi Jinping and like all the stuff that's happening is all just, it's, it's too big for God. I was speaking with God this morning. He's good. <laughs> Didn't seem worried at all. I'm like, are you not even, are you maybe like slightly? He's like, no, he's good. He's good. He's Still on the throne. He's, he's on the throne. Watch this. For you and I, sometimes we're flying through turbulent weather and we can feel like, oh my gosh. But I want you to know this. That it doesn't matter what the wicked do. It doesn't matter what even what's going on in the world. God's power. So in the story of Joseph, Joseph, Joseph had, how many brothers did Joseph have? There were 12 brothers. He was one of 12. Uh, what number was Joseph? Was he number four, seven? It was what? Number 11. Number 11. That's interesting. Number 11. Who was the firstborn in, of Jacob? Anybody? Reuben. Reuben was the firstborn. Reuben was the firstborn. In, in Hebrew culture, in Middle Eastern culture, the firstborn son is the heir of the estate. The firstborn. He is the heir. The firstborn receives the inheritance receives the father's blessing, the firstborn. Reuben was the firstborn, but he didn't really receive. No. Joseph was the 11th born, yet in Jacob's house, he was the one walking around with the coat and the tunic of many colors. So much so that his brothers despised him, saying, you little rat. You're, you're, you're number 11. You're acting like you're number one. And they threw him into a pit. But he rose up out of the pit. And so they sold him into slavery. When they sold him into slavery, he went from slave and he rose to prince in that house. And then when Potiphar's wife tried to seduce him and he wouldn't give in, she had to cry attempted rape. He goes to prison. He's now in, in a dungeon, in a jail cell, but he rises to prince in the prison. From there, he helps the butler and the baker, and he ends up in Pharaoh's palace, and he rises to prince over the whole land of Egypt. Why is that? Why is that? I'm glad you asked. Because on Jacob's wedding night, he had just worked seven years in covenant. He'd worked seven years in contract. He'd worked seven years in betrothal for Rachel. But... Corruption, wickedness, deception that is in the world. Laban makes a switch and puts Leah in as his, as his bride. 
He goes into Leah. Leah gives Reuben. Then she gives Simeon. Then she gives Levi. Then she gives Judah. Then Bilhah produces Naphtali, Dan. And then Zilpah comes in and Issachar. And there's, there's 10 children ahead of Joseph. But Joseph is the firstborn from Rachel. Rachel was the one that he worked for for seven years. So even though men had defiled and men had deceived and men had perverted and men had contaminated and men had corrupted, Joseph carried in an anointing that when they threw him in a pit, he rose from that pit. When they put him into chains and slavery and a gavel came down, sold 30 pieces of silver, he rose to prince in the house of Potiphar. When he was then thrown into prison under false accusations, thinking surely now he's buried, you couldn't bury the man because the anointing that was on him, the distinction and the delivering and the distinguishing is upon him. I want you to know, I came here to tell you today that the anointing that is upon you when you are born again is not subject and it's not limited and it's not drowned out by what happens around you. No man, no devil, no demon, no World Economic Forum can hold down what God has put on upon your life. You will rise, you will rise and you will thrive. You will flourish, you will prosper, you will increase, you will enlarge. You'll walk out of addiction. You'll walk out of bondage. You'll walk out of fear. You'll walk into faith. You'll walk into blessing. You'll walk in the miraculous. You'll walk in the supernatural. You'll walk in provision. It's just what God does. It's just what God does. Come on, give God a praise. Give God a praise. Come on, stand to your feet. I've got a hand back to Pastor Samuel. Let me just give you one more, one more, one more, one more. Joseph had a little brother. What was his little brother's name? Benjamin. What number was Benjamin then? Number 12. How many sons did Jacob have? So if you're the 12th of the 12th, what does that make you? Makes you the last. Matthew 20, 16, Jesus says, the last shall be, the last shall be first. All right, well, let's, let's, let's see your theory, carpenter's son. The last shall be first. Benjamin is the last, the runt of the litter. He's the last of the 12 sons. Tell me, from which tribe did the first king of Israel arise? Saul from the tribe of Benjamin. It doesn't matter what men do. It doesn't matter what men do. Benjamin is number 12. He's the last. But the first king of Israel is chosen from because God watches over his word. To put, lift your hands to heaven. God watches over his word. The question is, is, is his word living in you? God said to me many years ago, he said, Jürgen, if you live in my word, my word will live in you. People say, Pastor, it always, everything always seems to work for you. Well, the reason it works for me is because it works for His Word. And I've just decided I want His Word in my life. Don't let, don't let fear substitute the Word. Don't let negative naysayers substitute the word. word. Don't let smarty pants philosophers and, well, I've got more degrees than a thermometer. Don't let anybody replace the Word of God. Put the Word of God. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my word endureth forever. The greatest way, the first thing you're going to do with the word of God is receive Christ. Jesus is the word become flesh. If you've never received Jesus, today is your day. Make him not just your savior, make him Lord and savior. Lord means, Jesus, you have the first say and you have the last say. 
you have the first say and you have the final say. Go to Jesus first and then whatever you figure out, if you're at odds, go with what Jesus says. It's never failed for me. I look a lot smarter than I really am because I just go with what he said. Father, I thank you for these beautiful people. Thank you for Bressy Ranch. Thank you for the 3D, the three-dimensional God, a God of distinction, a God of deliverance, and a God of distinguishing. In Jesus' name, everybody said, Amen. Wow, what an amazing word. I hope you enjoyed that as much as I did. Hey, listen, for more information about our church, go to www.awakenchurch.com or subscribe to our YouTube channel if you haven't already and download our app. It is amazing. It is chock full of incredible messages, information about upcoming events, and you can even support our ministry if you feel so inclined. We loved having you with us today. We look forward to seeing you again. God bless you. Live a life that is transformative. Bye for now.